0: Remain standing for the reading of our gospel lesson. Our gospel today is taken from Mark, the fifth chapter. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat... This isn't the right passage, is it? Yes, it is. Yeah. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him... Rather grew worse. She had heard the report about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the rulers of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. The gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Uh, today i have the joy of welcoming the president of hillcrest lutheran academy to preach here today Uh, some of you may know uh, brad Hoganson. i know him he was my my youth pastor and my pastor uh, for a number of years so it's a joy for me to uh to to have him here with us today to share the word of god uh, with us and just another note he'll be sharing not only today but he'll be sharing a year from now at bible camp uh, 2019 he will be the main speaker uh, for our Bible Camp program, so I do encourage you to, uh, to, to be a part of the Bible Camp ministry. It really is a, a neat ministry. I got a phone call from uh, our youth director, uh, Ben Miller, and he said that uh, we have a girl from our church that wants to be baptized, and uh, I said, yeah, that, that is awesome. That is what the church is about, right? The church is about baptizing. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, and what? Baptizing them. That's the ministry of the church. So I was excited, and I said, yeah. So she, he said, we're going to do it. Her parents are coming, and we're going to do it tomorrow morning here at Bible Camp. And I said, great, I'll be there. And then I told my wife, guess what? There's a girl from our church that's going to be baptized, and uh, we're going to do it tomorrow morning. And then my wife says, well, you have to be at Maple Park tomorrow, tomorrow morning. Well, I get excited about baptism, so I thought I was going to be able to be there and be a part of it. But So Dan Stenberg, Pastor Dan Stenberg, is doing the baptism for us uh, today. And hopefully we'll have more testimonies about Bible Camp and uh, the Word of God that was preached and proclaimed. And the Word which changed hearts there. What a powerful ministry Bible Camp is. So I'd like to welcome Brad Hoganson to come and to share the Word of God with us today. And I'm going to pray for him. And then he will share not only the word, but also about Hillcrest. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. I pray for Brad. I pray, Heavenly Father, that your uh, Holy Spirit would be upon him, that you would give to him, Heavenly Father, uh, the words uh, that you want him to say from your word today. Uh, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would uh, touch our hearts and touch our minds as your word goes forth. So Lord, touch Brad and touch us during this time of encouragement, and uh, not only of encouragement, but also of, of refreshment and renewal, uh, being brought from death to life through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Brother. Yeah, You're welcome.
1: Um, there's a lot of wonderful things. Kids coming to faith, wanting to be baptized, but to have one of your boys pray for you? (laughs) I just want you to know that was pretty special. (laughs) Uh, So you need to know something about me maybe. Um, I I get around the word of God and I start to, uh, I get a little weepy sometimes. So if that happens, uh, we'll just trust that that's the Holy Spirit and not me being a big baby. Um, (laughs) So uh, I love to proclaim uh, the word of God. So thank you so much for the opportunity to be here with you. Uh, Today, today marks year one in the books for me as uh, president at Hillcrest Lutheran Academy in Fergus Falls, Minnesota, and I will tell you this, I lived in the Pacific Northwest for about 17 years, I will take this rain every single time. Here's the deal with rain, you never have to shovel it, nobody ever makes it into a ball and throws it at you. There's a lot to love about the rain. Uh, Anyways, I I, um, am just thrilled to be here with you. Tell you a little bit about Hillcrest Lutheran Academy. Hillcrest is is your school. It's uh, our Church of the Lutheran Brethren uh, School. We are uh, grade 7 through 12. And for our high school, 9th through 12th grade, uh, we have uh, dormitories. We're also a day school, but predominantly we're a, a boarding school uh, for the Church of the Lutheran Brethren and for the church at large. Uh, I graduated from Hillcrest in 1984. The fall of 1983, my father drove uh, me and a friend from New Jersey. So, just if you hear this morning as I'm preaching, you'll hear funny words like daughter um, and things like that. That's my New Jersey coming out a bit sometimes and uh, he dropped me off at the front steps those kind of if you've seen pictures or if you've been to Hillcrest it's got this beautiful 1901 building we call it the castle and uh, my father dropped me off at the front steps of that school and said to me Brad I'll see you at Christmas if you know what I mean. I knew fully what he meant um, because God was still in the in the in the work of transforming me I was a new believer at that time I was a well, there was a high likelihood I might go home earlier than Christmas, and, uh, and I made it. God began his transformative work in me, um, kind of taking some of the, the edges off of me, restoring broken places in me, and uh, God is still at work at Hillcrest Lutheran Academy uh, doing the same thing today. It's a different school than when I went there. When I went there, it was predominantly students from the Lutheran Brethren around the United States. We had some people from Fergus Falls, but, you know, that was kind of our student body. And I, I, I showed up July 1st last summer, and in August when uh, students started to arrive, I started noticing that there were students coming from faraway places, places like Nigeria and Ethiopia and Tanzania. and. Turks and Caicos and Vietnam and China and South Korea and India, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking all these students, how? How did you ever hear about Hillcrest Lutheran Academy? I, I fully expected to hear stories of missionaries who, who crossed the oceans to far off lands and, and that they heard about Hillcrest Lutheran Academy that way. And they all looked at me confused and they said, well, Google, of course. So praise God for the the ministry we have through the through the internet. Uh, students are finding us; they're looking for a place where they can grow in their faith and uh, and and receive an education in the United States. And it's wonderful that we have those opportunities. It fits nicely with our Church of the Lutheran Brethren. Um, kind of our mission mindset as a church. We started as a mission sending organization and that's what we still want to be in the Church of the Lutheran Brethren, but where we used to have to cross oceans, now people are coming here and we're seeing our students uh, hearing the gospel and being delivered. The ones that are already believing are growing in their faith and maturing, uh, growing deeper, being discipled. uh, Part of what the church does. And so I want to say to you, thank you for your prayers, thank you for your support of Hillcrest. Uh, There's a a display in the back, if you'd like to learn more, I'll be there for a bit too if you want to talk to me. Here's some of the things that are important to us at Hillcrest. When we talk about Hillcrest, we really talk about three core values. The first is that we want to see our students uh, grow in their faith. Uh, Whether they're coming and hearing the gospel for the first time, we want them to hear the gospel in all of its power to transform, to forgive sin, to deliver and bring life. Some of our students come as believers, most of our students do, quite honestly, and we want them to grow in their faith. We also want to develop their academics. Uh, Hillcrest is a college prep school was fun for me this this spring. I got a letter from South Dakota State University and it was from the academic dean of their engineering department. Now if you knew me at all, if I ever got a letter from the academic dean of a department, it was usually to say something like, thanks but no thanks. (laughs) This letter came to me and said, Dear President Hoganson, I want you to know that we have three of your students from Hillcrest Lutheran Academy in our engineering program, and they are far and away setting the standard for what we're doing. Whatever you're doing there, keep doing it. It was fun to write back to him and say, just so you know, you're going to get four more of our best students this year, and he's thrilled. We want to see our students uh, not just growing in their faith, But we want to see them sharpening their intellect in such a way that they're going to be the people who are leading the way in academics and fields of study wherever they go. Finally, we talk about being a place where character is strengthened. We want to see our students uh, doing some of that spiritual formation that will set the tone for the rest of their life. As they're receiving christ and growing in their faith as they're receiving this uh, top-notch education we want to send them out into the world as as people who are ambassadors for christ and uh, whichever way their their uh, gifts and their skill sets and their life takes them we want them to be equipped to serve the Lord. So it's, it's fun to be this job. It's, uh, it's new for me. It's exciting. I love it. When you think about Hillcrest, would you pray for me? Would you pray for our students? And, uh, and just, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and talk about that. But even more than that, I love to talk about Hillcrest. I love to talk about Jesus. <laughs> so if you would this morning, um, let's turn our, our hearts and our attention uh, to the God who sent his son to redeem us. I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Lutheran brethren congregation, solid church. My parents were the kind of people that uh, were there whenever the church doors were open. And if the church doors weren't open, they had a key and they would be the ones who opened it. I was in the, in the church from the time I was a, a little guy. I was in Sunday school. I, I don't think I ever missed. Actually, you know what? I went back to be, my pa- be the pastor of that church just about seven years ago, and I was going through a closet a storage thing, and I found my Sunday school attendance record. And it was perfect until 1983. And, that's, and they kept, this is funny, they knew I was at Hillcrest, and every Sunday they marked me absent. I don't know. Grew up in the church, faithfully sitting under the teaching of Sunday school teachers. VBS, thank you for doing VBS for your community. The, uh, the, the work of God going out into your community to children, so important. But you know, somehow as I was sitting under that the, the Sunday school and the VBS, and we didn't have all the technology that we have now, we had flannel graphs. Remember flannel graphs? Anybody remember the flannel graph, right? That was the height of Sunday school technology in the 70s and the 80s when I was growing up. It was always a blue piece of flannel that was uh, put on maybe a piece of cardboard or a piece of plywood. And then it was kind of like my sisters always played with paper dolls. They don't even have paper dolls anymore, do they? They do? Oh, good. And, and it was like having a paper doll Jesus, And you could take, for whatever the Bible story was, you could take that and you'd put it on the felt board. And it was always the same characters, though, right? It was always like the same scenery. No matter what the story was, whether it was an adventure story of of armies and kings and battles, or if it was the stories of love stories like Ruth and Boaz, or if it was the, the stories from the Gospels. Well, I remember thinking that Jesus was just too perfect. If you remember the, 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 the flannel graph, Jesus, his hair was perfect. His skin was perfect. His posture was perfect. He, he had, we, we had this really fancy one. We had like a little thing in his arm so his arm could go up or down. That was the height of our technology. And he always had what I always called, because I had a G.I. Joe with a kung fu grip, and I always thought Jesus had a kung fu grip because his hand was always like this. So whether he was talking to his father or whether he was talking to the people, this was Jesus. And somehow in my mind, I had this idea of a one-dimensional Jesus that I couldn't relate to. And somehow his hair was always perfect, his white, his white robe with the blue sash, always perfect, never wrinkled, never stained. He was too perfect. He was unattainable for me. He was contained. He was detached. And this was kind of the Jesus that I knew as a child. And that's not the fault of my Sunday school teachers. That's not even the fault of flannel graph. That was my heart issue. Somehow I could keep flannel graph Jesus detached from my life. As I grew into my junior high years and into my high school years, Uh, there was some hurt and some brokenness and some bitterness that I was just carrying with me. And on the outside, I I looked like the the church kid. I remember, and and at school I was this other kid, I remember parents in the church saying things to their kids, if only you were more like Brad. And they were like, if only you knew. (laughs) I had detached myself from this Jesus that I didn't really know. I just knew about him. And it was my junior year in high school. I went to a camp. And I heard the gospel proclaimed in such a way. I like to think of it as, it's in such a winsome way. A way that I could understand a God who loved me. And a God who sent his son to deliver me from my brokenness. To forgive my sin and to set me free. And I remember that moment when I believed. I was set free. God began his transforming work in me. And as I read through the scriptures then, and particularly the gospels, I didn't see a one-dimensional Jesus anymore, but I saw a Jesus who was alive, a Jesus who loved, a Jesus who walked, a Jesus who cared, who interacted, and who, who spoke with people, who loved people. And that was the Jesus that I needed. The Jesus who was the redeemer of the prodigal, The Jesus who was the healer of the sick. The Jesus who was the giver of life to the dead. The Jesus who said to the broken, who said to the downcast, to the outcast, I'm here for you. That's who we meet in our text today that Pastor Adam read. We see in our text today that Jesus had crossed over the sea. In just the chapter before that, he crossed over to a Gentile place, to a place where he was most likely to be rejected. And as he crossed over, you know the story that the the wind and the waves stirred up and there was a storm and his disciples were afraid. And they said, Jesus, don't you even care? And he spoke to the wind and the waves like we sang this morning. And the wind and the waves obeyed. He said, be still. Be still. When he got there, the story goes on. Mark, as he tells, Mark tells the story so fast, doesn't he? Everything is immediately, the next thing, right away. We see the man who was possessed by demons. Jesus delivers him. It's interesting, in that text, Jesus says to the man, I want you to go and I want you to tell everybody about what you have seen and heard. I want you to tell everybody about what you've experienced. And yet, at the end of our text today... He says, well, keep this to yourself. Isn't it funny that God tells us to go and tell, and so often we don't. But when he tells people in the scriptures, I don't want you to tell anybody about what happens. They can't contain it. It can't be contained. This is what the gospel is like. He's returned now in our text back to the other side of the sea. And a great crowd gathers around him. That was often the case, wasn't it? We see that in the scriptures. Paul goes on to say in his, in his letters that the Jews were always looking for a sign. They always wanted to see the miraculous. They were always gravitating toward the, the magnificent, the spectacular. And they heard the stories about Jesus. And so they, they would gather wherever he was in great crowds. Mark tells this. And then came a ruler. Now, I'm not a guy who really likes conflict. But I know that as I've read through the the gospel accounts, that every time a ruler from the synagogue shows up, there's going to be a conflict. They're the ones who were always complaining about Jesus. They were the ones who were always challenging him. They were the ones who were always trying to, to trip him up and to trick him. Well, not always. Nicodemus was a ruler. And he came and he wanted to hear about, tell me more about this new life. We see a ruler come. His name is Jairus, and he doesn't come to trick Jesus. He doesn't come to trip him up. He comes out of desperation. You see, his 12-year-old girl is dying. Matthew's account says that she was already dead. So I don't know if she was already dead or if she was maybe just, uh, it was so far gone. This was a last-ditch effort. Maybe he just was like, maybe she had already died and he was heading there to see if Jesus could do something. We see later on in the account that when they showed up at the house, the mourners were already there. And here comes this man. One of the rulers of the synagogue. One of the guys whose job it was to make sure that all the rules were followed. He was a rule follower. He was a rule enforcer. He wasn't coming to complain about Jesus healing on a Sabbath. He wasn't coming to confront him about how his disciples are eating on a Sabbath or, how, or, or, or harvesting or working on a, on a Sabbath or that they're not doing the ceremonial washings just right. All of that is in the past for him because he has one single purpose. Jesus, would you come? My daughter, my little girl, the love of my life, is at the point of death. I remember when my wife came to me and said, Brad, we're gonna have a baby. If you've ever been in that spot, you know that in that moment, in a split second, all of your hopes, all of your dreams, all of your aspirations, all of your love is immediately transferred to that child who you've not yet met. He had 12 years with his little girl. We don't know what her disease was, but we know that it was taking her life and this was it was approaching the end and he had no other option but to go to Jesus and say, if you would just lay hands on her, she'll be healed. That's an audacious request. It's an outrageous request from a ruler of the synagogue especially if she was already dead. Because the ruler of the synagogue would have known all the Levitical laws about touching a dead person. They had these rules, these laws. And they were for the good of the people. They were to help prevent the spread of disease. But Jesus, if you would, if you would do this, my daughter would live. There's no time to waste. <laughs> Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus. He's all about bringing dead people to life. Does that still today? And he says, I'll go. Let's go. And Jesus, this man, his disciples, and the crowd. (laughs) Thanks for the crowd, right? It's this kind of intensely personal thing for this family. And the whole crowd is coming to see what's going to happen. And in the crowd, Mark says, there's another woman. That for as long as this little girl has been alive for 12 years, this woman for 12 years has suffered an illness. He calls it a discharge of blood. She was hemorrhaging. There were Levitical laws about that too, you know. That at that time when a woman was bleeding, she was, not to, she was declared unclean and she would have to go through a season where she would be, uh, would be considered clean again. And for 12 years, she was considered ceremonial unclean. I don't know if you've thought about this. 12 years is 600 weeks. That's 600 times she can't go to the synagogue with her family, with her friends. I wrote this down because I wouldn't remember it. 43,000, or forty-four thousand three hundred and eighty days, day in, day out, reminded that she's not welcome among the people that she loves. She's unable to join in worship. She's not to have any contact. My guess is that the people in the crowd from her town probably knew her, her dilemma. They knew that she was considered unclean, but somehow she took a chance. She'd heard about Jesus. She takes attention. She works her way in through the crowd. And I don't know if the other people in that crowd avoided her, if they knew her. And somehow she she works her way through the crowd. and, 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 And Mark says that she slipped in behind Jesus. She didn't even approach him from the front. And this was what she was thinking. If I could only touch just the hem of his garment. I'll bet I'll be healed. See, here's the thing. Jairus says, touch my daughter. She wants to just touch Jesus. But in the moment of that touch, according to the ceremonial laws, Jesus would be considered unclean also. She does this. She slips in. She she touches just just his garment, (laughs) suddenly that super white robe with the blue sash doesn't work anymore. This is real. This is not one-dimensional Jesus. This is Jesus, God incarnate in the flesh, God with us. And in that moment, she knows she's been set free. She knows she's been healed. And Jesus knows it too. He he felt power go out from him. And And he asks this ridiculous question. Who touched me? His disciples even were like, Jesus, what's your deal? Jesus, there's people everywhere. Everybody's bumping into you. And you're asking who touched you? And he turns around and the woman is found out. He's been made unclean by her touch, and she's been discovered. And John says this, that she she was afraid, that she falls to her knees, and she tells her whole story. She doesn't leave anything out. I don't know what she said to him, but she just poured it all nothing was left unsaid it's not like Jesus didn't already know it she just poured it all out what does Jesus say to her how could you do this to me don't you know that by your touch you've made me unclean how reckless of you how inconsiderate he looks at her and he says daughter My girl, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. He says, Go in peace. Isn't that amazing? Everywhere Jesus goes, he just talks to people about going in peace, right? Something happens when we interact, when Jesus interacts with our brokenness and he sets us free, he delivers us from all of our fear, all of our shame, all of our hurt, all of our pain, all of our sin, and he says, you've got peace. I don't know if your church does this, the church that I grew up in, every Sunday that we would take communion, we would, at the end, we would greet each other with God's peace. As a a kid, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand, so we just, God's peace, God's peace, God's, I I just, just didn't get it. But if you've been set free, if God has delivered you from your sin and from your shame and from your pain and your hurt, and he says to you, go in peace, and as you've received the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, and he has made you clean, and you can declare to each other as a body, God's peace to you. You've been made well. You've been set free. You've been released from your burden. You're free from your pain. You're restored. You're healed. You're free. You're redeemed. And in that moment, Jesus took on her disease upon himself. And then typical Mark fashion. And we're just going to continue on with the rest of the story. It's like Paul Harvey or something. In typical fashion, he just moves on. He continues the story of Jairus. At this moment, some people are coming from his house and say the words he never wants to hear. Your daughter is dead. You're wasting the teacher's time. Don't bother him anymore. Here's the deal. Anytime we come to Jesus, we are never wasting his time. And Jesus has this really, I think it's an amazing conversation, right? They come to him and they say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And overhearing what, he, what they were saying, Jesus says to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear. Do not fear. Go in peace. Do not fear. Isn't that the story, how, how, even how the story of Jesus begins? When you read through the Gospels, when, when Mary is told you're going to bear a child, don't be afraid. Joseph, your wife is going to have a baby. Don't be afraid. Shepherds, you're watching out over your flocks, and you live in a time and a season of fear of the political climate and everything that was going on. There was a time of fear, and the angels say, Don't be afraid. And as Jesus ministers around the, the area of Galilee, he's always saying, Don't be afraid. What's, what, what did Jesus say when he, when he was outside, when he was resurrected, right? And then and, and the ladies come to the tomb. He says, don't be afraid. What is Jesus saying to us? Don't be afraid. Just believe. And he does this remarkably beautiful thing. He said he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. He said to the crowd, this is not for you. And he calls Peter, James, and John and Jairus. And they enter the house, and the people are already there. The mourners are already there. They're already weeping. They're already crying. They're they're, they're experiencing the thing that that we should never have to experience. If you remember the story of Jesus at Lazarus' tomb? He wept. Why? Because since the fall, death entered into our world, and we weren't created to experience death. But Jesus has defeated death and defeated sin. And so he says this. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? She's not dead. She's asleep. And they laughed at him. Can I tell you that the gospel is always laughable? The gospel message is that God makes dead people alive That he moves people from darkness into light. That God takes the broken and restores them. And the world looks at this and says, that can't be. That's laughable. (laughs) If it's not too good to be true, it's not the gospel. The gospel is always going to be too good to be true. And that's why it's good news. Because it is true. (laughs) And so... He enters into the room. At this point, he takes the mom and Jairus, Peter, James, and John. And he goes into the room where the child was, and he sees her body, lifeless. He does the most beautiful thing. He says to her, Talitha Kumi. when he stood at the grave of Lazarus, he called out, Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) But to a little girl, little girl, time to get up. The way a father or a mother would wake their sleeping child. Hey, kid. I would call my kids kid. Hey, kid. Time to get up now. I want to spend some time with you. I've got great things in store today. Hey little girl, Tali Thakume, time to wake up. And he takes her hand. See what happens there again though? She's dead. And to touch, in the ancient time, to touch, the mother and father could touch. They would not be considered unclean, but anyone other than the immediate family, if they were to touch, they become unclean, and he took her death, her uncleanliness, upon himself, and she got up. And I don't know why. I always, I'm going to, you know, you have questions you're going to ask Jesus someday. Someday I'm going to go, if she, why did you say give her something to eat? I'm hoping it's like this. I would love to wake up, wake up, it's time for breakfast. Join the family. <laughs> We've been waiting for you. Lunch is ready. Breakfast is ready. Dinner's ready. It's this beautiful moment here. So what does this mean for us? Well, the gospel, Paul says, this is foolishness. The message of the cross, the word of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved is the very power of God. This morning you're carrying something I'm sure we all do. Some pain, some hurt, some shame. Maybe like the woman, everybody knows it. Maybe nobody knows it. But I'll tell you this. The message of the gospel is that God sent his son to enter into our brokenness. To say to us, you can have peace, you don't have to be afraid, and you can live again. Let Jesus' words today, do not, be a fe- do not fear, only believe. Let that deliver the good news to you, to your hurting soul, to your broken soul, that you can believe and be set free. Today it's my prayer that by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, that is living and active and able to pierce to the part of your soul that maybe no one else knows. Let the love of Jesus Christ touch you there. Take your brokenness like he did on the cross. Set you free so you can live. Amen.